Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Grace Bible, good morning to you. Love you people. I'm so glad to see your beautiful faces. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 17, as we continue our discussion through the book of Acts. As you're flipping your way over there, a couple of things that I want to mention to you that are celebration worthy today is our uh, brand new uh, worship pastor, Dave, turns 30 today. Today. So there's Dave. I'm the conductor, all right? You are the choir. Are you ready? Pay close attention, close attention, follow my lead. You got that? Okay. Happy birthday. Day, dear Dave. Happy Happy. All right. I don't know if, uh, hey, if you're watching online, I don't know if you could hear that at home or not. That was the least exhilarating rendition of happy birthday I've ever heard from 500 people, but we're glad that you joined us anyway. Happy birthday, Dave. Uh, I, I wanted to give a shout out to somebody else. I don't, I, I don't, not only do I not typically do this, we never do this, but this is kind of really hits home for us. I wanted to celebrate one person in particular this morning for another reason um, you, have, you guys have bore witness, some of you have participated in the incredible work that God has been doing through GBC in the community of churches of Abide out at Avon Park State a Correctional Facility, and much, that is much ado to the godly leadership that the Lord has placed out there. But one leader in particular uh, who is here with us this morning, who is uh, a deeply engrafted part of our church family, he and his wife, um, Warden Jess Baldridge, he's the big warden out there. Uh, he's in charge, in charge of all the stuff. He just got recognized a couple of weeks ago by the Secretary of Corrections for the state of Florida with the Secretary's Leadership Award, which is the highest leadership award that you can get in corrections in the state of Florida. And he's part of our church family, and I'm thankful for that, man. So here it is. I mean, I mean, living on gospel mission in the world of corrections is one of the hardest and dif- most difficult environments to do that. Here's a guy, and his wife as well, she, she's a warden out at uh, Okeechobee. Um, here, here's, a, here's a family that like not only is intentional about gospel mission where God has placed them in one of the toughest environments uh, to be on mission in America, but yet they are getting awards from the state for excellence in the craft of what they do. You don't have to pick one or the other. I do believe that when the Spirit of God dwells within somebody that we are meant to be the best at everything that we do because he's the best at all of it. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, Jess. Um, I love you, man. I'm thankful for your leadership. And, it, and it, it's an honor to see you get honored because we believe in you. And I know you hate when we call you out and give you props, but, man, you deserve it. And we're grateful for you, man. Thank you. Thank you for your hard work, you and your beautiful bride. Yeah, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 17. A couple of things I want to remind you all about. Man, come, come back, those of you that, uh, that it works just in the rhythm of your week, come be a part of our Wednesday night discussions. Um, we, we have Wednesday night ministry just like Sundays for all ages, from babies, uh, elementary, teenagers, preschool, uh, adults. Um, we are wrapping up a ladies-only Bible study that's happening right now about how to study the Word of God. We have a gospel basics group that's wrapping up. We'll have some new things coming in in those places. Um, but one thing that's going to continue going Uh, that I want to encourage you to consider if you are um, a part of the Hispanic community is we have a Spanish-speaking only class where you're studying the book of Galatians. We recognize it in our church family. Um, We have folks that either Spanish is their first language or their preferred language and the easiest language to read and learn in. And so we want to create an environment for you to be able to continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus with other Spanish-speaking believers, and that happens on Wednesday night. So 
This little advertisement might not be for you, it might be for your neighbor, uh, but let them know, like we have a life-giving little church that is budding within our church family of Spanish-speaking gospel-centered believers, and we wanna invite you to become a part of that because I know that could be transformational in your life as well. Hope that you'll consider being a part of that. And as always, like we're still driving that ship of encouraging people to get in smaller group DNA discipleship gatherings, guys with guys, girls with girls. You saw a few weeks ago, we've got a couple of dozen around the county, and we'd love to get you connected into that. If you're looking for ways to grow in your relationship with God as well as make a deposit into the lives of other people's relationship with God, we, we're calling our whole church family into that. Uh, we long for the day where we've, got, where we've got hundreds of DNAs all throughout the heartland, and we've got dozens of grace groups where it's kind of gatherings of DNAs where they come together, have a meal, and reach their communities with the gospel. So that's all coming in the future, but DNA is where we're starting right now, these smaller discipleship groups. Uh, get in contact with us if you're wanting to get connected or want to let us know that you've got one going that we didn't know about. We'd love to hear about it. Um, if you have your Bibles, yeah, Acts chapter 17. I'm calling this little sermon discussion, um, really long title. Um, we are looking at Paul's life here uh, and how he ministered to the people of Athens with the gospel. So we're going to call this Gospel Mission in a World Full of Idols. Um, for, your, uh, for those of you that take notes, this would be a good sermon to take notes on because I'm going to give you four points. I'm not typically a three-point or four-point sermon preacher. I usually just get up here and just talk about what the Word's telling us. But today I'm going to give you four specific points about how to and what the attitudes of and kind of the habits um, that we learn from the Apostle Paul of how to effectively be on gospel mission in a world full of idols. Um, just so you know, um, the book of Acts is now zooming back in on the Apostle Paul's journey, his missionary journey. He's got Timothy with him. He's got Silas with him. They're sharing the gospel as they go from city to city. They just came out of Thessalonica. A bunch of people got saved, gave their lives to Jesus. And then the Jews got mad about it, so they formed a mob, and the mob chased them out of town. And so they went to Berea and started preaching, and the mob went to Berea and followed them there. And so Timothy and Silas told Paul, why don't you go ahead and go on to Athens and we'll just stay here. And if the mob doesn't chase you to Athens, then we'll catch up later. That's how we get to Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. And this is what took place. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, waiting for his team to show up, his spirit was provoked within him. Say provoked. provoked. Yeah, his spirit was provoked within him because he saw that the city was full of what? Idols, yeah. So, as he always did, he went to the synagogue, he reasoned with the Jews and the devout, you know, the God-seeking, God-fearing people. He reasoned with them with the gospel. And he also went into the marketplace every day with those who just so happened to be there. Now, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, just so you know, for those of you that care, um, what an Epis, uh, Epicurean philosopher would teach. These are some of the leading thought ideas of that particular time. Um, Epicureans basically taught that we need to avoid pain at all costs. That was that, that, that ethereal position. Let's avoid pain at all costs, and the best way to avoid pain is buy more stuff. That's like American philosophy, okay? You know what I'm saying? Hey, your feelings are hurt, go buy a boat. That'll make you feel better. Um, that's what Epicurean philosophy is, all right? And that's what was one of the leading idea, ideologies of Athens at that particular time, but there was also the Stoic philosophers, and these, the Stoic philosopher also came and engaged Paul. Stoic philosophy is basically let's, let's avoid pain at all costs by learning to master it, all right? It's the mastery of pain through self-discipline. For those of you that care, that's what those guys believe, just so you know. Uh, so the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with Paul, and some of them were even saying, what does this babbler wish to say to us? That word in their language, babbler, means to be a seed picker. In other words, what is this guy who like, has all these undeveloped ideas? He just like picks up these little ideas and just starts spreading them out. He hadn't even thought through everything yet. It was an insult to Paul. But what does this babbler wish to say? And others say that he seems to be preaching of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the what? The resurrection, you're going to need to underline that in your Bible. This is an important reason. This is the reason why they were assaulting and insulting him. Because he was speaking of a God that actually defeated death. And this was rubbing against the grain of the culture there in Athens. So they called him out on it. 
And they started making fun of him. And then they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which is like the main stage in the city. This is where he could stand up and address everybody at once. That was probably the wrong thing to do with the Apostle Paul, is hand him a microphone. But they did anyways. And he says, we want to know what, you're, what this new teaching is that you're presenting. Probably wanted to put him up there so he would embarrass himself and be quiet and be done. But they handed him a microphone. He stands up in the Areopagus. Areopagus I don't know how you say that. Jeez. Areopagus. We want to know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Uh, let's just start right here. Let's understand a little bit about Athens. Um, those of you that have studied, even in elementary school, any bit of like ancient Greek mythology, you know a thing or two about Athens. Like this was the centerpiece of their culture at that particular time, like, and Athens drove the culture of much of the world. Like this, this was like the hub of thoughts and ideas and innovation and creation and, and music and art and philosophy. Great philosophers like Aristotle have come out of this place. Like this is a, this is a place that is like shaping the world. It's much like New York City is today. Like everything that matters exists there. It's like a melting pot of all the world's ideals of all the religion, of all the ways of doing and thinking and music and art and science and medicine. That was Athens back in their day. And now one of the things like that stuck out to Paul first when he approached the city of Athens, he like looked and he just noticed like he saw that there was like idols being worshipped. Like there was these little, these little stations, if you will, all throughout the city where you could worship all these different idols. It's been said from an ancient Grecian writer that the city of Athens worshipped as many as 30,000 idols, 30,000 little g-gods. Imagine, geez, I mean, how do you keep up with all that? But that was Athens. Like, anything that you wanted to worship, it was available for you. We don't really connect with that in American culture, do we? we don't, we've never seen anybody bow down before a little statue and worship it. We've never seen anybody craft something up and set it on a mantle and worship it. We have a hard time connecting emotionally with the, with the ancient ideas of idol worship, or do we? You know, I was going to give you some examples of what that looks like in our culture, but I came across this old video. Um, it's a little pixelated, um, but I think you'll get the idea. So check this video out. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. But they had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. My toes are sore, okay? Yeah, well, you get the idea. Uh, you, idol worship is just as much a part of any culture in the world as it's ever been. If anything, in the American culture, we've taken it to extraordinary extremes. But we've even gone so far as we don't identify it as idols anymore. We just identify it as a hobby or a pursuit of furthering my career or whatever it is. And, like, we too, like, we, we take these little G gods. Understand, like, worshiping an idol is not just an object that we physically bow down to. It's any time that, as Timothy Keller says, any time that a good thing becomes a God thing. 
It's, it's when we take things that are right and good and we worship them. And how, well, how we worship them is just like any other idol ever. Like we make sacrifices to the idol. In the name of our career, expanding our portfolio, or in the name of our team or our habits or our hobbies, like we will lay down our marriages on that altar to be sacrificed. We will lay down our children on that altar. We will lay down our time. We will lay down our financial health. We will lay down our physical health on the altar of these idols that we love so much that we're willing to sacrifice anything in order to feed that idol in our lives. Yeah, idol worship is alive and well today. The Athenians had 30,000. I would venture to say that we probably have a whole lot more. That's the reality of the world that we live in. And notice that the apostle Paul, like, I mean, this whole conversation is about how to live on gospel mission in a world that's saturated with idols. Well, we live in a world that is. We live in a community that is, in a country that is, just like everybody else around the world. And I want you to know it's like the first thing if we're going to start putting these practices. And by the way, I'm talking to, you know, I'm talking to like followers of Jesus this weekend. Um, a lot of the sermons and conversations we have kind of address everybody. I'm kind of aiming at like God-fearing, Jesus-loving church people that are truly committed to walking with him and have surrendered their lives to him, but yet have stopped short at their full kingdom calling of what he's called us to do and empowered us to do because we're a little nervous about how to, um, how to be who Jesus has called us to be in a culture that is so saturated with idols because it gets complicated. Uh, this sermon really is about us looking at these habits in Paul's life so that we can see some things that we could pick up and be better equipped for kingdom mission in this world that we live in. I want you to know this is the first thing that the Apostle Paul, that happened when he saw this city and when he noticed like all the idols around them and, and could easily identify all these things that people were being lured away into worshiping in their lives, the first thing he said is that he, he was provoked. Like he felt something very deeply in him. Now, many of us get provoked too. Um, we get provoked every time somebody tries to oppose our political views, or we get provoked uh, sometimes when we see or hear somebody that we perceive to be immoral. Like, we get provoked too, but I'm not talking about just an anger here that he felt. This was like a righteous indignation. This is one part anger, one part love, one part compassion. That's the provoke that's used right here. He saw the idols, and he wasn't just moved to being frustrated at the people. He was burdened for the people. This would be a good place for us to start. As Christ followers in the United States of America, just like Athens in a world saturated with idols, like if we're going to effectively live on kingdom mission here to reach the world around us, we need to start here where Paul started. That we're moved past the point of just getting mad or frustrated when we see something and it isn't going our way, that we move past the point of just firing back online when somebody says something that we disagree with, but we get to the point where we see the need that is beneath the fault. Well, we're not just seeing people behaving badly, but we're seeing people that desperately need King Jesus, the gift that we have to offer them. Much like Jesus, when he approached Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, it says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he began to weep over it. That's provoked. One part anger, one part love, one part compassion. But it's just a driving force that something was burning deep inside the Apostle Paul, just like it burned deep inside of Jesus. And he longed to see these people set free. And it moved him to action. And so this, this is the first thing that I'll give to you uh, if you're a note taker. And again, a long sermon title, long sermon points today. But I want to make sure that we get the full picture of what's going on. Here's what we notice in the Apostle Paul's life is we will never win our cities until we begin to weep over them. This is so important for American Christians to hear because we're quick to act and we're quick to get loud about stuff. But the last time I checked, we are way, the American church is way more motivated to win debates than it is to win hearts. We would rather be right than we would step into the rescue mission that Jesus has called us to. Now, I know we, we, we don't, we don't want to believe that, but I see it. I see it when I get online. I see somebody say a thing that's flagrant and out of bounds, and then I see some, some Christian get on there. Thank God for those keyboard warrior Christians. I'll see some Christian get on there, some Jesus follower, and like try to win the argument 
instead of trying to win the person. And the last time I checked, nobody got, nobody, nobody lost an argument and said, well, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm coming to Jesus' team. You sure told me, partner. Nobody has been argued into heaven before, ever. Do you know anybody that like lost a fight and decided to come to Jesus? So that tells me like our methodology of the 21st century American church is missing it. We don't want to win people. We want to win fights. And it's because we need an attitude adjustment. We're, nev we're never going to win our cities until we begin to weep over them. And I'm not talking about curl up in a ball and shedding physical tears. What I'm talking about is like there is a deep burning passion that we are provoked at a deep place in us just like Jesus was, just like Paul was, that yes, it may cause us to cry, but I tell you, it's always going to cause us to move towards gospel reconciliation in our communities, in our, our relationships, because so much more so, we don't want to just be right in people's lives. We want, to, we want them to be reconciled to the king of glory. And we know that we have the way for that. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Because of the good news of Jesus, we have the antidote to the greatest disease that has ever plagued the world. The gospel of Jesus. That people's sins could actually be forgiven. That they could actually be made right before God. But yet we tie up all of our energy and all of our language and all of our time. Lashing back on social media channels, getting in our little echo chambers with people that think like us, and we bark and complain about everybody else in the world. But I bet you if we began to weep over our cities, it would move us outside of those holy huddles and actually getting out into the field to run a play to reach the world. He's given us the gift of Jesus, and he's given us the gift of the message of Jesus Christ. And, yeah, first things first, like, we need an attitude adjustment. Let's just call it what it is, Christ followers. We need to be burdened and a longing to see the world around us come to know Jesus and let that be our motivating factor into engaging them in life-giving conversations around the gospel. Um, since these, some of these things are going to be tough of how to reconcile, and some of us will struggle with one of these four things more than the other, so I wanted to just give us something to pray about for each one of these categories. Um, for this particular one, um, because we've been hardwired to be defensive and fight back in our culture. Um, for us to kind of reorient and have a transforming of our mind around the gospel, that we would feel the burden like Jesus feels, that we would weep over our cities like Jesus does, that we would see lostness as the problem, not just people's bad ideologies as the problem. Like, here's, here's a prayer that we're going to pray together. Um, and it's really short, and I actually pulled this uh, from a famous Christian worship song, but it just says it so well. And so bow your heads, and I'm just going to pray this over us. And for you note-takers, you can write this down, incorporate this into your prayer life. I hope that we all will on some level. But here's the prayer. Dear Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Maybe as you begin to pray that, maybe God brings faces to mind. Maybe God brings attitudes to mind. Maybe God brings, I don't know, fill in the blank. But we're asking and inviting the Lord to align our hearts with his so that we see the world like he does. And when I read about Grace Bible, when I read about how he saw the world, he so loved the world that it made him get up off of his throne and come after us. He didn't just sit up in heaven and throw lightning bolts, but he so loved the world, it moved him. That, that he was so provoked by his love for the world, it moved him into relationship with the world. So that tells me when we begin to weep over our cities, we're going to start moving into relationship with the world around us so that they can see Jesus, so that we can tell them about the Lord. That actually brings us into uh, the second thing. Uh, the second thing that we see in this moment in the Apostle Paul's life um, is that he was, check it out, he was willing to have gospel conversations in uncomfortable places. Willing to have gospel conversations in uncomfortable places. We see in verse 17, it says that he, uh, he went into the synagogue, as he always did, and he reasoned with the Jews, but then he went into the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, 
When Paul would go from city to city, he would preach in the synagogue. Those were his people. Like, he looked like them, smelled like them, ate like them, acted like them, dressed like them. He had clout with them because he was, he was Paul, who was a Hebraic Jew of the tribe of Benjamin and was a Pharisee. He was a who's who amongst the Jewish world. So when he stepped into a synagogue, it was just natural to hand him the microphone. Now, they weren't expecting him to be preaching Jesus and the resurrection, but like those were his people. He knew them. He understood how they ticked. He understood everything about them, but it says that he wasn't just in the synagogues, but he actually went into the marketplace as well. Now, who was in the marketplace? Everybody. What was happening in the marketplace? Everything. We don't have anything in American culture this day and age that is anything like the Athenian marketplace. It's, it's not like going to a mall. It's not, it's not like walking around the downtown district. It's, it's not even like going to New York City and walking through Manhattan. Like the marketplace and that culture, there was, there was no media outlets. There was no TV, no journals, no newspapers that went out. If you wanted to find out what was going on or what the latest gossip was, you had to go to the marketplace. If you wanted to know what the weather was supposed to be tomorrow afternoon, you'd have to go to the marketplace. If you wanted to go worship one of your little G gods, you had to go to the marketplace. If you wanted to get groceries, you had to go to the marketplace. If you wanted to hear what some of the latest thoughts were, marketplace. If you wanted to see some of the latest technology, marketplace. Everybody was there doing everything. This is just where you went. In Athens, and so this is where the Apostle Paul went. Now, while he was probably comfortable in his own skin amongst the Jews, imagine what it was like to be a Hebrew Jew Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin who walked, talked, smelled, acted, ate, behaved Jewish walking through the city of Athens. A cultural melting pot like none other. It'd be like when some of y'all rednecks take the journey to Manhattan. And everybody in town looks and is like, that dude ain't from around here, <laughs> apparently. It's like that. But he had to be willing to have gospel conversations in uncomfortable places. Because how else was the word of God going to continue to spread into an idle saturated culture. I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, and I've told you many times before, like, this is probably the one of the four that I struggle with the most. Uh, it, it, is, it is nothing for me to stand up here and wrap a microphone around my head and have gospel conversations with all the people that come to GBC and watch online, because you came here with a certain expectation that this is what we're going to be talking about. I came here with the expectation that this is what we're going to be talking about. So it's nothing for me to, like, talk about it very, very directly very firmly, as we look at the word of God, it's like, this is why we came. If we weren't coming having gospel conversations here, some of you would be like, why do we even come here? Like, this is why we do this. So it's nothing, it's easy. I mean, this is my people, you know? Like, we share a lot in common. Like, we're learning each other. We're getting to know each other. I understand the culture of our community. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is just my environment, so it's nothing to have the conversation here, but I feel totally different when I'm sitting at the terminal at the airport. When I'm walking through the city of New York, I feel totally different when I'm outside of my element, not with my people, when I'm just in a spot in life where God had just divinely plucked me out and placed me there, whether it be for a vacation, whether it was because I had to make a trip to visit a family member, like for whatever reason, God orchestrated my life to move me to another place, and all of a sudden I'm outside of my element, and it is not as easy. The words don't just roll off my tongue like they do when I'm standing here. This is home base for me, home field advantage. But when I'm at the family reunion in the other state, when I'm getting on the airplane, when I'm, you name it, like I'm not nearly as comfortable. And so it's difficult to have gospel conversations in uncomfortable places. It's backfired on me a bunch of times, for sure. But this is the part of the kingdom calling that is on our life. And God is going to move us about throughout our lives through his divine strategy of placing us all over the place all the time for the sake of gospel mission. And he intends to do the work through us. But are we going to be willing to allow him 
to have gospel conversations through us in uncomfortable places. Here's what we're going to pray about that. I told you, we'll have a little prayer for each one of these. We just pray, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let, let me see the world around me like you see the world, to be moved because you so love the world that you gave your only son, that you birthed the gospel so we can be saved. If we so love the world, let's at least talk about what happened. This is the prayer we need to pray for having gospel conversations in uncomfortable places. Bow your heads. Let me pray this over us as you join me in praying this. Lord, be my courage and be my words. Lord, be my courage and be my words. That was the second thing. Let's jump into verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, Attention shoppers. Mm -hmm. Appreciate the courtesy laughter. Hopefully somebody at home's cackling on the couch still. I planned that little joke that y'all still don't think is funny. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as, quote, unknown, this I proclaim to you. Let's stop right there for just a second. Here's the third thing that we see in the Apostle Paul's life. Not only was he willing to move towards reaching a city because his heart broke over it, not only was he willing to have uncomfortable uh, gospel conversations in uncomfortable places, but here's the third thing we can pick up from the Apostle Paul is we need to understand our audience before we open our mouth. I heard some of y'all say something. You're, you're here apparently. That's good. Yeah, we need to understand our audience before we open our mouth. Any, anybody that's taking any communication classes in high school or college, like if your communications teacher or professor was worth their salt, one of the first things you would have ever talked about in communications class, communications 101 needs to drive this point home is you have to know your audience. Now, you don't have to know everything about them. You don't have to necessarily have a relationship with them, but you got to know who you're talking to so you know how to talk to them. You know what I'm saying? I could preach the sermon of my life in the bush of Africa, but if I didn't preach it in Swahili, it wouldn't be any good. They'd be looking at me like, what's this crazy white boy saying, you know? It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, we got to understand who we're talking to. And understand a little bit about them. And so we see the Apostle Paul come into the city and he spends time walking about the city, having conversations, like observing what's going on in the city because he cared enough. Like when he was provoked on that hillside, when he saw Athens, when he was provoked and he saw the city of Athens worshiping idols, like it moved him into the city to start to learn about what they cared about. You know, what's that old saying that your grandma used to tell you? People don't care how much you know until... They know how much you care. He didn't have to fully immerse himself in their life and their culture. He didn't have to start worshiping pagan gods in order to blend in, to be a part of that culture, in order to have a voice with them. We don't have to, we don't have to like set aside gospel values and morals and kingdom principles so that we can immerse ourselves in a culture. Matter of fact, is the, the fact that he was different was the fact that they handed him a microphone in the first place. But I tell you, he cared enough about the Athenians that he tried to learn what they care about. And so he starts out this sermon, like understanding our audience. I want you to know, like, the way he preached to the Jews in the synagogue was so different than the way he talked to the Athenians in the marketplace. Like anytime you read the Apostle Paul's sermons to Jews, it always goes a little something like this. Um, God used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Rahab and like all the patriarchs and Noah and Jonah, like God used all the stories of the Bible and all the patriarchs of the Bible to point you to Jesus. That was his sermon in every synagogue ever. But that's not the sermon he preached to the Athenians in the marketplace. He actually started a sermon out like this. Hey, I noticed you guys are really religious people. And they said, well, yeah the most religious. And he says, I've noticed you're so religious in fact that like your city's just decorated with all these altars where you can worship all these gods. It was beautiful. I, 
I see that like you really care about spirituality and worship. Yes, in fact, we do. He says, as a matter of fact, I noticed that like you guys are so religious. I've never even seen this before. You guys are so religious. You even have altars erected throughout the city to worship the unknown gods. Like, I mean, you guys even carry an insurance policy just in case some God shows up that you didn't know about and says, why haven't y'all been worshiping me? You can say, we've been worshiping you right here. We just didn't know your name. This works out great. We're glad you're here. You think he cared about the people he was trying to reach? He understood what made them tick, what drove them, what they valued, what was important to them, and he started this conversation speaking to that. And so, you know, you know what, guys, the best part, though, I mean, I've seen this, this statue to the unknown God, this place that you worship. He says, hey, I tell you what's really cool is, like, I just so happen to know who the unknown God is. If y'all are willing to hang around, let me tell y'all a thing or two about him. We need to understand our audience before we open our mouths. That's probably, that's probably a good thing for us to remember this day, because we sure do like to talk and tell people how we feel about everything. But I wonder, like, this is just the easiest platform to discuss, and there's so many other examples, but I wonder how many of us, when we see somebody make some off-the-rails comment on social media, somebody we know, and it makes us want to unfriend them, not only digitally, but literally. Oh, my gosh. Not my friend anymore. I wonder if instead of that provoking us to respond and to lash out in anger, I wonder what would happen like if we actually took the time to get to know our audience. We say, hey, man, I saw you, you, you made that post online about the thing, and I wanted to respond, but I didn't want to be disrespectful because it kind of made me, I don't be honest with you, kind of frustrated me a little bit. But, like, I'm over it now, but honestly, like, I'd like to, man, let's grab coffee or something. I'd like to hear more about why you feel the way you feel about that thing. Maybe there's something I need to learn here that I'm missing. Hey, I noticed that your city is full of idols. But, hey, let's spend a little time together so I can get to know you a little bit better because I'd love to get to know you. Man, there's some things I like that's been on my heart that I'd love to share with you, too. I just so happen to know who the unknown God is. What if we took the time, like, to get to know our audience as we are on gospel mission in a world full of idols. What would happen if godly Christian people who claim to be about the things that Jesus is about also so loved the world that it moved them towards immersing themselves in relationship with the idol-worshiping world around them just so that they could have the platform to present the gospel of King Jesus? It just might change the world. Some of us struggle with that one more than the other four, so here's the prayer that we're going to pray right here. Bow your heads. Let me pray over you. Let's pray this simple prayer. Lord, I actually pray this before I come up on the stage almost every week. Lord, speak the language of the listener through me. Lord, speak the language of the listener through me. Amen. Only he knows what they need to hear and how they're going to respond and what's going to capture their heart. So let him do the talking. He's the vine, we're the branches. Cling to the vine. Lord, you speak through me. Your Holy Spirit knows just how to care for this person. So we're going to set up this conversation. We're going to have us a cup of coffee together. I'm going to ask them these questions and, and show interest in their life. But I want to bring the gospel message into the conversation. I don't know how to do it. So you speak the language of the listener through me. Show me the way. Show me the way. Let's look at the rest of Paul's sermon right here. He says, uh, I noticed that y'all will worship the unknown God. Got an insurance policy in town. Well, I just so happen to know who the unknown God is. It's the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man. This is, again, him understanding his audience. Like any of you that know, obviously, just a basic piece of Greek mythology, like the reason why there's 30,000 gods is because every god had a certain area of responsibility and jurisdiction. You got the god of the sea, the god of the air, the god of the sky, the god of the trees, the god of war. And so they believe very much that like there was a god assigned to authoring and sustaining certain things in the world 
that they lived in. And then the apostle Paul says, but oh, the unknown God, by the way, he is the God above all gods. He is the one that created everything and spun everything into existence. He was the one that was here before everything else and he created those things. This would have been stunning news for them, probably offensive to them. And nor is, verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. You know, in order for them to maintain a good relationship with their idols, they had to sacrifice meat and they had to clean the idol and they had to dress the idols up and they had to do all these things to try to maintain good standing with the idol so that the idol did not become angry with them and curse their family. And he says, you know what, this unknown God, he's above all of that stuff. Yeah, we serve him because we love him, but the bottom line is, is he does not need anything from us. He can make his own breakfast, he can clean his own self up. God is self-sufficient within himself. He doesn't need our worship, we get to worship him. Totally different. He's not served by human hands as though he needed something from us. But the unknown God, he's actually the opposite. He himself actually gives to us. To all mankind, he gave us life and breath and everything we got. So yeah, when we worship him, we're just giving back what was already his to begin with. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, and that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yeah, he is actually not far from each one of us. He's not a distant God like these idols. He's present with us. He's near to us. Verse 28 says, because in him we live and move and have our being. He is us. We are one with our king because of Jesus. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. We are children of God. This is a totally different God that we worship. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. No, we didn't create God in our image. He created us in his image. The times of ignorance. Listen, man, this is prophetic even to our day. The times of ignorance God has overlooked for long enough but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Let me just back this up and read that again. The times of ignorance, God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to present to repent. He has presented himself. The unknown God has showed up, given himself a name, conquered death itself, lived publicly on display for 33 years, died publicly, resurrected publicly, and hung out for the next 40 days publicly just to let you know that he was God and he has a name. And his name is Jesus. So the ignorance that God has been overlooking, there's no room for that anymore. He now commands everyone to repent and recognize who truly is the king because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world and righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has also given us assurance by raising that guy, Jesus, from the dead. Now, when they heard all this nonsense about the resurrection, here it is again. When they heard all that, they forgot everything else Paul said. When they heard him say resurrection from the dead, some mocked, Others said, well, we want to hear a little bit more about this some other time. Paul went out for their midst, but yet some men joined him and believe. Among those were Dionysius, which was a lead thought guy in Athens at the time, but he became the leader of the Christian church in Athens and was eventually martyred for the sake of the gospel. That's pretty cool. And there was a woman named Damaris and other people with them. Some believe, some wanted to hear more some other time. And some just outright rejected it. But here's what we see from the Apostle Paul, thing number four. I told you in the beginning that the reason why he got thrown on this stage to begin with, after all the insults got hurled at him, it was because he was speaking of one that actually had power over the dead, over death itself. 
And so they say, you know what? Get up on the big stage and embarrass yourself in front of all of us as you try to your little seed-picking theology and ideologies. Go ahead and tell us all about him. The very thing that they were hurling, hurling insults at the Apostle Paul for was the very thing that he concluded his sermon with, reminding them to know that this Jesus has actually conquered death itself, and he will be the one to judge the world. Here's thing number four for those of you that are taking notes is if we're going to live on gospel mission in a world full of idols, we have to be willing to have the last 5% of the conversation. We have to have the last 5% of the conversation. It's too easy to go into a situation having prayed up, prepared, asking God to use you, and then drift away into just talking about the weather or sports. And maybe if you get real bold, you might even ask a question like, hey, hey, I was just wondering, you know, like, you go to church anywhere? No, no, we don't go to church anywhere. Oh, that's cool, that's cool, man, that's cool. No judgment here. You ought to come try my church sometime, though. We're probably getting into the first 10% of the conversation there. We might even go as far if we get really bold and say it. Do you believe in God? I'm just curious, man. I don't want to weird you out or anything, but like, do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, cool. Praise God. Woo, man. Sweat, man, I was so worried. You didn't believe in God. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, I've been praying. Okay, good. You believe in God. That's good. Did you know we could go to just about anywhere in the world and just about any group of people and ask a question, do you believe in God? And most of them would say, yeah including Athens in the ancient world. Imagine if Paul would have got up there on the stage and said, hey, I'm just curious. It's been a burden on my heart. I saw all the eyes. I just wanted to make sure you believe in God. And they would have said, yeah, we believe in God. We, be we, we believe in 30,000 of them. Because asking somebody if they believe in God, really the next question is, well, which one? Because we could go to a Muslim mosque in the Middle East and ask, do you believe in God? And they say, yeah, of course. Have you seen our temple? We believe in God. Which one? You ask a friend, do you believe in God? Yeah, which one? The unknown God stepped into the world, and he introduced himself. And he says, between you and me, I'm going to go by the name Jesus. So if we had the same kind of conversations and we asked, hey, yeah, but um, do, you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you, do you under, I, know, I don't want to weird you out. Like, I know you know, I ain't trying to like, but like, here's, like, do you, I've just been praying for you. I've felt a burden to talk to you about this. Like, do you, do you know who Jesus is and what he's done for you? And what do you think about all that stuff? Do you believe in Jesus? That's the question. This is why Jesus told us himself, like, hey, don't, don't be deceived. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. This is what he meant. Like, you can talk in most people groups around the world, and you can talk about God. Nobody's going to bat an eye. I was invited to pray at a government function for our state. Didn't get a chance to do it because it got canceled. But they told me, hey, you can pray to God, just make sure you're praying to the highest common denominator of the deity of God. So let's not use any specific names. See what I'm saying? Something about the name of Jesus makes people have to pick sides. You catching what I'm saying? If we're going to live on gospel mission in a world saturated by idols, we have to be willing to have the last 5% of the conversation. The world is desperate for it. And this, is, this wouldn't be a point in the sermon if it wasn't something that terrified us. But even the Apostle Paul in a very uncomfortable environment was willing to get to the very thing that he knew that they were hurling insults at him for, talking about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. This is something that we need to pray about. Maybe, maybe this is something that you need to join in one of our gospel basics groups about so that we can learn or get into the DNA and go through our curriculum so we can really learn about who Jesus is and what he's done so that we know what to say about Jesus. 
Like this is the last 5% of the conversation that will change their life. Hey, and guess what? Some will mock. Some will say, I'd like to hear more about that some other time. And some will believe. So here's, here's what we'll pray in conclusion. Bow your heads, dear friends. For that fourth one, having the last 5% of the conversation, here's my prayer for us. Lord, make your message complete and clear through me. Father, I pray that you would break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, I pray that you would be my courage and my words. Lord, I pray that you would speak the language of the listener through me. Lord, I pray that you would speak completely and, com and clearly so that there's no room for error. And Father, we need you to do this work through us. It is impossible to persuade an idol-worshiping world that Jesus is the king. It's impossible for us at least, but not for you. Because your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It can pierce us to our deepest parts, Father. And you can break through the most hardened heart with the gospel, but you're going to have to be the one to utter it through us. So I ask that you would. And GBC family, let me leave you with these words as you just continue. Let these soak over you as you are praying to the Lord. Romans chapter 10 says these things. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear about it unless someone is telling them, preaching, proclaiming, professing that Jesus is Lord? And how are they to preach unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. GBC family, you are the sent ones. You are the ones that God has given his Holy Spirit, you followers of Christ, to declare to the world the good news of Jesus. May he do that miracle work in and through us. Amen.